You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet Season 2, the podcast where we talk to business owners who show that financial metrics aren't the only measures of success. I'm Ashley Bloom, and I'll be your host. It takes more than just a good idea to grow a business. It takes clever marketing and strategic brand positioning to really make your products and services fly. The way I always start is is less from a, a marketing perspective, but more from a positioning perspective. Why is what you're trying to do important? How are you framing it? Have a look at the market that this product would sit in. And think about where there's an opportunity to create something unique that nobody else is doing right now and how you'd bring that to life as creatively as possible. That would be my advice. This week, I talked to Natasha Litton, who runs brand marketing and network strategy at Seedcamp, Europe's first early stage investor in pre-seed and seed stage companies. Natasha works on the Seed Camp brand itself, but also supports their portfolio of companies on everything from defining brand purpose to growth strategies and the art of creative storytelling. Natasha also happens to be my old boss when I worked in marketing at the UK's fastest growing smoothie brand, Savse, and was an amazing mentor for me when I was building my career in the world of marketing and communications. In this episode, I pick Natasha's brains on all things early stage startup from how to decide what kind of funding your business might need to how to take a really great product and make it fly through the powers of great marketing and positioning. I hope you enjoy the interview and I'll be back at the end. So Tash, welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet. It's so great to have you on the show because Obviously, not only have you got an amazing story, but you were my first marketing manager coming out of university. And I was so lucky to have a mentor that gave me so much responsibility. You allowed me to learn from my own mistakes and really take ownership of the work that I was doing. So yeah, really thrilled to have you on the show. And whilst I know quite a bit about your journey or some of your journey, but to kick off, I'd love to just hear who you are, what you do and why do you do it? Yeah, uh, well, very excited to be reconnected. We've obviously shared some pretty uh, intense situations and experiences along the way, but, you know, let's work backwards. I'm running all things brand, marketing and portfolio support at Seedcamp. We're, you know, one of the leading European seed funds. We invest at pre-seed and seed stage. We've got a portfolio of 400 companies, including four unicorns today we've actually got our first company going public on the new york stock exchange which is 
pretty phenomenally exciting for us and yeah I've been there for it'll be five years actually in September and I guess why I ended up there and is is because previously I'd been working in startup companies and I was kind of the the first you know marketing like leader meant to be shaping what the marketing department was going to look like in in both instances when I'd been brought in there had been kind of somebody that hadn't quite worked out and I realized oh it's really bloody hard <laughs> like coming into to these startup businesses balancing just everything to do very little clue of, of what does and, and does not work as well as you know like pretty limited resources in order to make things happen so mm-hmm. loads of challenges but but amazing learning experiences along the way and you know being in those situations for me I loved it and I loved the pace and I loved the energy and, and just how much kind of ownership kind of to what, what you were saying earlier on we, we would get. But also I just saw the same mistakes happening time and time again. So I thought, wouldn't yeah. it be great to be able to work with a real portfolio of companies and be able to advise them so that they don't fall into some of the same trappings I've been seeing Um time and time again. And I guess, you know, prior to that, I'd worked in, in global agencies, I'd gone in-house and, you know, I, I went and worked at Witch, the consumer watchdog, thinking yeah. that that would be better than working in, in agencies for big corporates I didn't care about. Went to Witch and actually realised, I don't give a crap about saving people £5 on their annual energy bill. And so it's kind of been startups ever since. So yeah, seven plus years now working with, with really early stage businesses, both inside in-house and, and now in this kind of hybrid VC. So you definitely found your niche in the world of early stage startups and Seedcamp was Europe's first early stage investor in pre-seed and seed stage companies. Can you briefly explain what that actually means and why it's so important for early stage companies to work with the right investment companies? Yeah, of course. I guess, you know, the first thing to say is there are many different like types of investment that mm-hmm. are out that exist in the market. We're, we're venture capital investors. So, you know, that traditionally is best suited to companies that are on a really high growth trajectory because venture capitalists are looking for those organizations and businesses that can go on to be valued a billion plus. And, and really, Seedcamp, you know, we've been going for close to 15 years now. And it, and it was the first fund of its kind to really bridge the gap between European entrepreneurs and access to capital in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Valley, you already had big successes, big established venture capital funds like Andreessen Horowitz and, and Sequoia Capital. And, you know, really nobody was was doing that in Europe or, you know, demonstrating that there was an opportunity or believing in, in European founders to go on to build the, those big, valuable businesses. And, you know, Seedcamp very much started as a kind of experiment and, and a micro fund, bringing together individuals and founders and, and seeing what, what magic could happen. And, you know, you fast forward 15 years and it's now... As I said, you know, 400 portfolio companies, four unicorns, our first IPO and, you know, just an incredible milestone and and success to see for for Europe on the the global stage. Pre-seed and seed, we're, we're really the kind of first investor for people who are building businesses that can change the way we live, interact and, and purchase. And, and it's really founders with unwavering and, and relentless am, ambition and, and vision that, that we believe in and, and sort of buy into across all sectors. So, you know, we're, we're investors in anyone and everyone from UiPath to TransferWise, now Wise, Revolut, yeah. Hopin, uh, you know, who've gone absolutely gangbusters in, in this sort of virtual world, like fastest growing European um, yeah. tech company ever. So, you know, we, we 
believe and, and take chances in, in people building businesses across all sectors. And before we talk all things kind of brand and marketing, I just wanted to pick your brain. So if I'm the founder of a very, very early stage business and I'm looking to kind of bring on investment, what are the first things I should start preparing and thinking about that you guys would expect to see at Seed Camp? As you said, you buy into the kind of like relentless, really motivated founders, but what do I, what would I have to kind of bring to the table to make you guys want to actually support and work with me? The reality is like you, you have these different stages and like class of investment and rounds, you know, you talk about like pre-seed or seed stage and traditionally yeah. those are are qualified by sort of investment amounts but the reality is that like the market dynamics are really shifting massively at the moment there's this huge influx of capital into mm-hmm. the kind of tech space because it's it's so buoyant and rounds are getting much bigger and what that also means is there's not necessarily a an exact you know you must have this at this stage to raise this amount there, there are a load of variables some of those are you know some of those are the sector and the potential growth. So, so yeah. what's happening? How can you demonstrate that this is a hugely valuable market that you're going after and, and why you are best placed to, to tackle it? And, and that we talk about as founder market fit. So we really want to see for anybody who's coming to us, why you, whether you're a sole founder or whether you have a founding team, like are the best possible person to be going after this problem that you're trying to solve. And then I guess just a, a really sort of solid found foundation and, and early thinking around why this matters and, and how you're going to go about building while also knowing like we invest so early at the stage we invest and you look now at, at a company however many years down the line the yeah. product will pivot the team will change however many times over we, we fully expect and are on that journey with people but but it's essentially huge market opportunity excellent team to to tackle it and all of that stuff we sort of said around, you know, drive and, and any early proof points are always great, whether it's yeah. sort of, you know, technical people that have been brought in to help build or some early testimonials from potential customers or, or demonstration yeah. of why it's needed. We, we've backed things on paper, somebody who's founded three businesses before. So we're like, OK, we believe this person is going to make something of this again to, you know, companies who already have customers and, and revenue. So it's a real mixed bag. Exactly. And often we get Raffinger's early stage businesses asking us to help them with like business plans and forecasts and stuff like that so that they can secure investment or secure a bank loan or something like that. Why should a new founder, what what should a new founder consider when working with a company like Seed Fund the, in terms of the benefits of working with you guys versus just getting a loan from the bank? Because obviously... I know, and we're going to talk about it more, that you support on a personal level where you help them with their marketing, with their brand strategy and all of that sort of stuff. So what else should a kind of founder expect when they work with a company like yours instead of just getting that loan out from the bank? Yeah, I I guess the reality is, and then sort of to what we were saying earlier about, you know, just the technology investment space and, and how much money you've got flying in there. Capital's in many ways actually one of the easiest bits to get at at the moment whereas building a business is bloody hard and you have absolutely everything that you're trying to do because if you are trying to build that sort of billion dollar plus business like that doesn't happen overnight and a little bit of upfront capital isn't going to be the only thing that helps get you there so you know seed camp has always been a a network driven fund and, and that's really integral 
to, you know, we talk about the Seed Camp Nation and, and really that's integral to the kind of ongoing success of Seed Camp because it's not just supporting the, the founder, but it's also as they grow and build their team, it's, it's supporting their team. So whether it's, you know, me working very closely with a lot of them on marketing or Alex who supports our companies on talent and hiring or we have people on, on yeah. product and, and leadership, you know, we're really thinking about every aspect of what it takes to build a business and, and how we best support our founders on that journey. And that's not just from, from our core team, but it's also from the extended network. And that's, you know, our experts in residence, our venture partners, our, our mentors, as well as the founders themselves. Like the real beauty of, of having that network is, you know, yeah. we have an internal platform with, with a thousand founders who are, you know, a couple, either a couple of steps or many steps ahead in the journey. And, and it really sort of is this amazing, you know, almost self-fulfilling kind of cycle where later stage founders will invest in the earlier stage companies or they'll provide yeah. guidance. And, and, you know, that, that's really what's impactful because we talk about seed camp being where you can get your first customers, your advisors, build your, build your team yeah. and, and really get the support on the journey. And obviously we mentioned, but a huge part of what you do is working with the company's portfolio of startups on everything from branding, communication, marketing. So when you first start working with one of the sort of brands or companies in your portfolio on their marketing strategy, what is the first thing you do when you kind of go into one of these very early stage businesses and start tackling their marketing? I guess that the way I always start is is less from a, a marketing perspective but more from a positioning perspective and actually like you know it's why is what you're trying to do important how are you framing it what are the stories you want to tell and, and how does that start to come to life and you know I'll often I'll run a, a workshop and I'll always sort sort of call it like great you've got a product but have you got a brand and actually what are the fundamentals and what does it take to, to build a brand because for me like a brand is absolutely every single thing that you do say touch and make and and it's not just your marketing strategy it's your hiring like hiring is pretty much the biggest blocker for early stage startups because you know when you're competing for the best talent and you don't have the money to rival yeah. a google or an amazon or whatever how are you selling a vision that they want to come and, and be a part of and, and demonstrating a, a brand purpose and a culture that's going to be exciting to them so, so for me that's always the foundation and kind of what I was saying earlier about seeing the same mistakes you know one of the things that I love to do and that I'm always really surprised by when I work with early stage companies is I'll, I'll run a, a workshop very frequently with people and I'll get the, the leadership and the early team in a room and I'll say can everyone write down independently what it is you do why it is that's important and what the vision is when I then stick all of the answers up on the wall nobody ever gives me the same answer and yeah. so for me, it's, it really starts with that foundation and the team and getting everybody rallied around the same mission while also having, you know, I very much don't want startups to spend huge amounts of money and time on this stuff because we know it evolves and, and will change really quickly because also yeah. the, the product's going to be constantly changing. But, but I think that early foundational piece is so integral and just being very clear around what it is you do and don't do why that's important and what that unique position that you can own in, in the market is going to be to, to help you win and to get those disproportionately influential early customers on board. As you just said, so often businesses go a really long time, right, without making their first kind of marketing hire. And 
obviously as seen in the current kind of recession, marketing is also often the first department to go when, you know, the world enters a recession. And I'm sure you'll agree that I believe that marketing is something that needs to be, well, not even marketing, as you said, positioning. And then once you've kind of identified and perfected your position in the market, you can start to really think about how to kind of promote and communicate that. Why is it so important for founders to be investing in their brand and their marketing? Well, I guess it's to, you know, that early point, like that it is so much more than just pushing your product or your service and getting people to engage, right? It's it's your hiring, it's your ability yeah. to raise investment. It, it's really all encompassing. And, you know, I, I do think that, that there are differences. Like, I don't think marketing should be discounted, but it also really depends on the stage of the company. Mm-hmm. If it's like there is absolutely nothing yet for, for anybody to engage with, then you shouldn't have yeah. marketing person yet because you have nothing whereas if it's we're thinking about crafting the story we're building a wait list we want to take people on a journey we want to build a community yes and absolutely you should have somebody sort of nurturing and and thinking about what you do with those people so Mm -hmm. you know I I think we have a bit of a like the word marketing is super broad I almost feel like broad broad in, in what I do at seed camp because I have no commercial marketing objectives on my head whatsoever because I'm not pushing a product business or sales or software or anything where it's it's tangible in that same way right so so it's very different and I guess you know for me and and what I'm personally really passionate about is is how you tell compelling stories across all of the different touch points or or people that you're going to be engaging with and Mm -hmm. and how you bring that to life creatively and how it cements that positioning and kind of demonstrates why people need this rather than that you know I'm personally always a fan of bringing on people who are really just have amazing not just intuition but they're willing to figure things out on the the job and are are intelligent enough to to do so and that can bring the founder along on that journey with them because you know also as we well know one of the the big issues is is getting the buy-in from from the founders and and you know making sure they they trust you enough to give you free reign to to sort of execute and do what it is you you want to do for the good of the business and that's as well I mean yes when you're in an early stage startup obviously the founder it's it's their baby right so getting the buy-in from that person is is one of the biggest challenges I imagine in pretty much every business because they are so invested and it's you know very hard for them to let go and loosen the reins because it's it's something they've been working on for so long but to be honest even in kind of some of the bigger companies I've worked with I mean I've got I report into 11 partners so getting kind of across the board buying from 11 partners and and it's great they trust me I have full ownership of the marketing division here at Raffinger's but it's something that actually does stay a challenge forever. So if you can uh, learn to navigate that as a kind of employee in a company like that at a very early stage, I think that stays with you throughout kind of any experience. You mentioned earlier, obviously, you, you know, you a workshop you do is obviously putting different people in a different room and getting them to write down who they are, what they do, their why and their business vision. I find often it's kind of like the communications or the marketing departments that know that information because it's ingrained in them right the the company decided they say this is our purpose this is our vision they go through some kind of workshop and then we live and breathe that because we are trying to communicate that as you said and tell that story on every single piece of communications that we do but what I find is that 
it's actually, as you said, hardly ever aligned across the company. And it's not related to new hires. It's not kind of put out there to anyone that joins the company. So I find that it starts to become something where marketing or the department of marketing are kind of actively thinking that that's still a thing and that we're all, we're all in the same headspace. And there's that disconnect between that team and, and the kind of founders and that sort of thing. Do you think it's important getting the whole team aligned? Because if that's something you do from, from the get go, is it something you continue to stress to them throughout the process? Oh, 100%. And actually, the thing I think that's really interesting, and and speaking even just from personal experiences this last year, like, I've hired a new team entirely remotely this last year. Mm -hmm. And what that's meant is codifying all of these things, such as culture and values, has been all the more important because as part of that onboarding experience and getting people bought in to, to why Seedcamp, Mm-hmm. has been integral because I need them to be on the same page. So actually, it's been a real forcing mechanism for these things that perhaps previously have been in people's head that that need to be sort of, you know, mapped out and everybody sort of reminded of and, and brought alongside. And, and I think actually, you know, we have a lot of companies that are remote first companies and they're all doing that. Mm-hmm. They're hiring at incredible pay. And this come back, comes back to internal communication, right? And, you know, yeah, with sure. that as well, seeing people coming in, because employee branding and employer branding is, is a huge part of, you know, what is often mm-hmm. overlooked from, from those of us who are perhaps more sort of external focused and facing. And I'm seeing this evolve a lot just in people bringing on like culture and, and people people much earlier on in, in the journey just to ensure that, you know, people are taken on that Mm -hmm. that journey alongside them but we all remember having values put up on the wall around us uh you know that that isn't what makes the difference it's how you live and breathe those every day and and how you hold yourself accountable to them like one of my favorite stories that I wang on about is you know one of our values at at Seacamp is is openness and and transparency and we do a really good job of living that in many instances with things like publishing our fundraising deck like VCs never normally will publish actually how they raise their own funds whereas for us we're like we see thousands of startup decks you know every year it's only right we show you know sort of put ourselves out there and, and show what it means for us to, to fundraise too because we have to go through it and it's not easy and then you know a few years back we were at a team offsite, and I was talking about you know the brand and the culture and all that yeah. and the intern at the time who was also called Natasha clearly very bright uh, and she she was like Tash I, I love that I feel really inspired but I just notice that on the website you've all got your arms like folded like this and and I don't feel that that's a great like you talk about the openness and even seeing the Seacamp team like it doesn't feel like a great reflection I was like oh yeah you're so right and you know you can get so, so right. blindsided by things like this I even you know with, with a company who were pitching the other week like I know the founder really well he has an incredible story incredible like way that he sort of got himself like to where he is now but he was so concerned with playing businessman in the the pitch that all of that magic was lost. And, and that's actually the stuff that people connect with. And I'm going on an absolute tangent. It's so true, though. People ultimately bind people. Exactly. And and so the more you can do as a brand to, to demonstrate that, as long as it is authentic to you, like we do not need yeah. more brands pretending that they're like, bold and cool and fun when they're not but when you authentically think about like 
the people who are driving your organization forward and, and what is real and authentic to them and, and how you can bring that to life in as human a way as possible, that's when it becomes exciting, I think. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Just to take it back, so if you're kind of at the early stages of a business, you figure out the vision, you figure out the purpose, you know why they do what they do, you understand the product, what process should they then do to figure out who their customer is? I mean, customer development is, and, and like go-to-market and sales yeah. fundamentally is, is make or break. Because yeah. if you can't get that right, then you're screwed. And, and that is the biggest issue that, that our companies sort of come to us with, to be quite frank. And, and the reality is it, it isn't as binary as like the product is ready and now you sell. Like the, the two are generally happening alongside each other. Yeah. And, and the reality is in the early stage, there is just a huge amount of experimentation. And that's experimentation on everything from like the product we think fits with the customer we believe needs it or wants yeah. it versus when we actually are getting tangible feedback and seeing that this isn't resonating at all or this marketing activity isn't isn't landing. The short answer is until you start trying to get it into people's hands, there is just no guarantee. And there yeah. are so many variables, both in terms of like micro and macro trends that, that will also have an impact. You know, look at Hopin, right? There, there are virtual events platform and they launched in February and the product sort of launched the next month and the product launched as a global pandemic hit you couldn't <laughs> make up like the the rate of growth in a company like that because the macro climate was yeah, totally no. shaping the product need but the product wasn't ready right and 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 that's the other thing right if if there is a desperate need people are willing to take a chance and be kind of a bit kinder almost that the product not might not be right there yeah whereas if you're a 
you know, the compliance department in an organization, you can't take that same risk. So, so the big thing that startups generally need to combat is this idea of trust, especially when you're, when you're B2B and you're trying to get, you know, big decision makers to, to open their purse strings and, and take a chance on you in, you know, and generally if you're working into sort of more staid corporate organizations, like that's definitely one of the, the big, big blockers that we see. Definitely. And I guess it's, it's something that I've almost forgotten, but obviously we worked in a startup. Well, like you still work with startups, but I worked in a startup at the early part of my career. And actually, if you look back, we were experimenting all the time to try and figure out who would resonate with us, the sort of communications that worked and what didn't. You're dead right in that there's no kind of right or wrong way to figure it out at those beginning phases because you're literally just trying to make sure your product is right at the same time as the customer and both things might need shifting and and you know one of the real issues with with tech companies in particular and you know the the company we were we worked at was a fmcg business right zero tech so for us doing the the more traditional sort of startup digital marketing wasn't really relevant because we weren't available at that point really to purchase online we needed people to go into retail stores so measurement was was near impossible whereas you know as soon as i moved into to working in a tech startup everything was was digital and you know there's a real there's something very powerful and, and helpful in that and, and being actually able to see what drives purchase and what does not but there's also a danger in it because you know we have such a monopoly of the big you know tech companies and, and you plug all of your money in, into google and facebook and yeah. you have absolutely zero control over the the algorithms over you know something that perhaps was working and effective like cat view at one point that does not stay in perpetuity so no. you know i believe so strongly in having like a hybrid suite of, of marketing tools at your disposal without Agreed. killing yourself early on because you don't have like enough time to do things properly but you just cannot rely on one channel for, forever to, no. to deliver results so what would your advice be on that in terms of first startups and early stage businesses that are making their first marketing hire would you say they should be looking for kind of a generalist that has got experience across all of those different areas or do we have to move ahead you know move along with the time should they be bringing in a a digital marketer to their business I think fundamentally like there is no single person that is an absolute expert at both performance and brand like there's Mm -hmm. just not you can be able to understand both of which I believe I can but I am a brand marketer first and foremost right and so you as an organization when making that first hire need to kind of I guess have that at front of mind like you know the thing that drives me absolutely nuts is this idea that we need a unicorn it's like cool let me tell you it does not exist so let's get that out of your head immediately because you're setting everybody up to fail and I think that's actually one of the big issues when startups trying to start trying to hire marketers they're very unrealistic in what they expect this person to deliver and they don't set clear enough goals to make sure Mm -hmm. that you can actually hold somebody yourselves both accountable around you know what the you need this person to achieve and and how that fits into the bigger business objectives of where the company needs to get to and and I think there is also you know big nuance in terms of the type of organization that it is right you know if it's b2b you're going to be leaning much more into content into sort of you know maybe events or or things to kind of bring that that b2b community together if it's you know 
retail product. It's going to be very brand led. So, so I do think there is nuance uh, for the type of, of business that it's going to be. And I do think at that early stage, because there is so much experimentation, you do need somebody with a broad enough skill set who can, you know, perhaps be excellent yeah. at a couple of bits, but also like push forward on others because you likely don't have much support <laughs> to kind of have, uh, you know, somebody in every different function. Definitely. And what do you think when you see these kind of job descriptions online? I've seen a lot of people sharing moans on LinkedIn about this, where there's a startup that's advertising a marketing role that says, I need you to be able to do manage our social media channels, email marketing, you've got to have experience above the line, below the line, paid advertising, agency management. The list goes on and on and on. They list every tactic that, you know, you're, you're taught that exists out there. A founder might think that's what they need and what they put in a spec. Whereas like if they meet the right person, they'll like relax and all of that. And again, when I think about when I've been hired in, I figured all this shit out. Like it, but it was also like, I'm gonna do everything in my power to figure out how this works and and that is something I like about you know when you hire less experienced people at the early stage because it's a huge opportunity for for them as well whereas yeah if as a more experienced person now I'm gonna look at that stuff and eye roll and bin it and and not engage but there's somebody else who perhaps will because they want that opportunity so it's also just a like fair reflection of how demanding startups probably are a lot of the time so at least you like you know what you'd be getting yourself in for and you can then decide whether you want to apply or not it's an interesting one because a lot of our kind of clients are very much at the early stages as well you know they're first they're getting their first accountancy partner because they need to start looking at how to manage cash flow and being compliant and that sort of stuff. Obviously, before you worked at Seedcamp, it started working with these very, very early stage. You were brought into and both Savsay and Pronto, where you were previously, when there was a very, there was a great product. It was just how to connect that product with the audience. So through your time working in as kind of CMO, Chief Marketing Officer in, the, in these two companies, you obviously experienced some real highs and some real lows. Can you talk me through some of the experiences that you had, more so for Pronto, which was the food tech company? Um, because obviously, I think they didn't get their round of investment and had to close. Can you talk me through that experience and what that was like? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, Pronto was again, like just a whirlwind. I was there for six months before we shut down and just the learning curve, the team, I'm so close to that Pronto team still. But Pronto, it was a really great example of of a technical team, no brand understanding really at all. And just very simple things that weren't, I mean, it was also, it was a hard business. We're a fully vertically integrated online restaurant. Mm -hmm. So we, Mm -hmm. you know, made our own food. We had to deal with where it was produce the kitchen the supply making meals that work for delivery delivering them to people within sort of 20 to 30 minutes we built our own tech back end had to source drivers and then as well like market the bloody thing i mean it was a great learning in that as an early stage company do not try and do all of that stuff yourself because you are destined to fail to be honest, it was a great example as well of like when market dynamics play against you. We shut down at a point when uh, Uber Eats launched in the UK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Deliveroo raised a massive Series D and Brexit happened. Yeah, And so yeah. all of these sort of like compounding factors, like 
made people scared because that's also what what happens in in this investment world. So we actually had a term sheet pulled. We we had a Series A sort of ready to go and it got pulled. And and to be honest, I look at it and I'm like, at that time, that was the right decision. Whereas if that were now in COVID, like we would have been flying because it's never been a better time for food delivery businesses. But in terms of some of the, the learnings or the experience, Pronto was a great example of, you know, having to be really creative and much more experimental because it was a hyper local product yeah we were yeah. you know barely available like in all of london yeah. and yeah. and so at pronto as well it was it was really addressing and looking at the brand foundation which hadn't been properly codified and, and creating a, a compelling sort of mission and, and, and vision for the organization but but that was really far reaching. So, you know, at, at Pronto, we wanted to create a global food infrastructure where anyone anywhere could access quality, affordable food at the touch of a button. We were barely available in zone one. So had to take consumers on, on a journey with us. And, and the sort of consumer facing message became feeding London. Yeah. And then the reality as well was, you know, because we were just in, in zone one and we were mainly getting used by corporates or people in offices. So as part of that Feeding London campaign, we wanted to be a bit experimental and show some of the different characters uh, that make up London and, and who actually could see themselves like using Pronto. Because as well, like, don't know how much delivery food you've had, it don't look that pretty on camera. And, you know, the whole... No. The thing with, with Pronto was pure simplicity, only ever seven meals on a menu at any time and, and a rotating menu because actually that was a real way to drive purchase. You know, we would, yeah. and that was one of the other interesting learnings. Like we would send out a new meal email every week and we'd always get an influx of, of orders, not necessarily for that new meal, but in general, because it was giving people yeah. a reason to come. And so it was then like, cool, let's increase meal rotation to two times a week because we're, we're, we're creating, and, and there was all these other things like when you have the beauty of data like we could see that if you'd eaten our protein balls you had a higher repeat purchase rate so we'd then launch reactivation campaigns on facebook around wimbledon to to try and get people who hadn't tried the protein balls to re-engage order and then think they may you know order more frequently because they love these protein balls so much so you know there was loads of amazing and fun things we experimented with there like you know and and it and it was showing signs of starting to work like our new, you know, referral was 80% of, of new customer acquisition. And then when we turned on things like out of home and, and started experimenting with direct and, and other channels that went down to 60 because people were coming in from, from elsewhere. And, you know, I have no clue what the long-term value of those customers would have been because obviously we died, but it was a great example of being somewhere with just like really bright people and like people who were, you know, just really focused sort of in, in their lanes and, and making stuff happen and, and just such a broad spectrum of, of expertise yeah. because of the type of business. So that was a whistle stop pronto tour. I think it's it's amazing in the world of startups though how much you can learn in such a short period of time. And whether that is a kind of success stories that you take from it or lows. Now, I imagine you can resonate with the startups that you work with on such a deeper level, because not only have you worked in startups and experienced everything they're going through, it goes without saying, obviously, that you've had an incredibly successful journey so far. You've always been, I would say, quite young in the positions that you've held. But I know that when you are young and in kind of a leadership position, there's that kind of stigma of, does she actually know what she's talking about? Do you think that age has got an important factor in leadership? Have you seen lots of founders come through 
that are a lot younger that have these great ideas? Or do you think that the experience behind them is needed in terms of the success of those businesses? I think fundamentally, like, there is no shortcutting experience. There, there just isn't. Mm-hmm. I don't think experience prevents you from trying and having energy and, and making mistakes and learning from them. I think that's hugely valuable. It makes you human and it makes you, like, make hella sure that you don't make those same mistakes again. And, you know, from a from a founder perspective, we see absolutely all sorts. You know, we have founders who are much older in their 40s, 50s starting businesses. And then we have founders come to us in like their straight out of uni or in their 20s early 30s and and actually the thing that's really phenomenal at seed camp is the four unicorn companies that we have the founder is still the ceo in 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 those businesses and that's not necessarily that usual and those were all apart from daniel at uipath those were all young founders like johnny is 26 and he's the founder of, of hopin which is valued already at multiple billions and i think having you know, that there is a being young and being open to feedback and learning and there's there's being young and, and arrogant. And that's probably the difference, right? And there's being yeah. receptive to taking guidance from, from people who perhaps have seen a bit more and, and may know a bit better. Like, mm-hmm. and I've always been guilty of that too. I remember, especially at Savsay, you want to prove yourself so much. And, and, you know, sometimes I would just speak to people who knew more than me and they would be like, no, I don't think you should run that process in that way. You should do it like this. And I'd want to say no. I'd be like, no, I'm right. And then I'd think about it. I'd be like, okay, no, no, no. You probably know better. And, and I need to listen. This is this is a question that is is more directed at you. I know that we've spoken a lot about Save Camp and the work that you guys do. But what would you say is your personal superpower that you believe that you do that nobody else does? Great question. I think that I have an ability to make people feel really good and to build strong relationships with people on a on a human level that means that they trust me and and value sort of what I can bring to them. So that would probably be what I would say. I like that. That's really nice. This is kind of a golden ticket question. So I have no idea what to do. I've got a great product. I don't know how to make it fly. What's the best advice you could give me? Just one piece of advice on building my brand. Have a look at the market that this product would sit in and think about where there's an opportunity to create something unique that nobody else is doing right now and how you'd bring that to life as creatively as possible. That would be my advice. And last question, Tash. This podcast is all about proving... I guess the financial metrics aren't the only measures of success. You know, we are at Raffinger's, we are an accountancy firm and we launched Beyond the Balance Sheet because whilst we work with clients on their numbers and on that sort of stuff, it's 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 easy for us to sound like we're saying profit, 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 success is profit. And it just isn't the case. And we're bringing in people like you to have conversations with who have a really unique perspective on what actually makes success. What would you say success means to you outside of the financial metrics? For me, if you're able to bring people on the journey with you and they believe wholeheartedly in what you're trying to achieve, that to me is a marker of success because a founder is nothing without everybody surrounding them. And so being able to bring people along and make them evangelists for what it is you're doing 
to me, that's the most phenomenal marker of success. Thank you so much for joining today. You've given so much advice. Thank you. My pleasure. And just to say, we have lots of resources on our website on seedcamp.com. Lots of useful information across everything from how do investors value an early stage startup to a lot of the more detailed stuff around the operational elements. So definitely head there um, and check that out. Well, for me, it was incredible catching up with my old mentor and somebody who had gained the most incredible experience and understanding on how to build brands from the ground up. I think the key takeaways from this episode are that before you do anything, you need to get the foundations right. You need to know who you are, what you do and why you do it. Only when you truly understand that and your team are aligned with that information, can you take your business to the next level. Stay tuned for my chat with Lee Manning, advisor and accountant here at Raffinger's, where we discuss the key learnings from this episode. And I pick his brains on when exactly Raffinger's decided to believe and buy into marketing and how having a clear marketing strategy has impacted Raffinger's as a business. If you liked this episode, go and have a listen to the rest of the series in series one. We are Raffinger's and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn at Raffinger's. Alternatively, you can check out our website, www.raffingers.co.uk. I have been your host, Ashley Bloom, and this has been Beyond the Balance Sheet. Thanks for listening, and we'll have another episode for you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.